And as you're being seated in the ark at Tree Worth in the sanctuary, turn to somebody around you and say, glad to see you. Now, now, now say it like you mean it. And, and some of you turn the other direction and find somebody else say, glad to see you. And I want you to say it like you mean it. Fake it till you make it. And then I want you to tell them, where are we turning to in your Bibles? Colossians, Colossians, Colossians. I'm going to ask you to do that. And if you're new here, whether you're in the sanctuary, you're online, you're at True Worth, um, man, thank you for joining us. If you're a guest here and you're on our premises, on the property, I would love to meet you when worship is over. We're about to do something. And that is, if you're on the premises and you want a Bible, you just raise your hand, somebody will bring it to you. If you're new, this is not a way of tricking you to find out you're new. I want you to know. It's a way of giving you the Bible and put it in your hand. So if you need a Bible, raise your hand in the sanctuary. You'll find them right there in the pew, tree worth. You have them all scattered out there about you. We're doing Bible study this morning. I'm just saying. Uh, if you're new here, you caught us in the middle of the summer, as you heard Cheyenne talking about a, six, a message with series about Colossians. We're kind of turning this place into a seminary room, to tell you the truth. I'm hoping by the time we get finished with this, that you're going to have not just an academic, a broad, deeper understanding mentally of this little book called Colossians, that you've learned how to read it in such a way that it's going to mean something for you personally uh, for years to come. So I'm just kind of warning you, you'll see there you have a blank page of message notes. I'm going to teach a lot of kind of academic middle stuff here to some of you that you're not going to understand when you first hear it. You're just it's going to go boop right over your head. But you write down that little note anyway. And I'm going to trust when you come back later on and listen to the message again or we get to the end, you're going to go, ah, now I get it, okay? Because there will be application, but we're going to do some kind of deep work in the Scriptures Bible study. I'm going to kind of approach this like if we're doing a small group in my house, and you're, I'm welcoming you into my house, I'm going to sit on the floor, I'm going to open up the scriptures and just kind of walk through some things and share some stuff, and that's kind of how we're going to approach this time. So to do that, we're going to begin with the understanding of a word before I even open up the Bible. We kind of, there's one word that describes Colossians, one word, and that word is subversive. Say subversive. If someone asks you, tell me, how would you sum up this little book? That's the word subversive. Now, let me make sure everybody knows what subversive means. Subversive is to take the words and images of one story and to use it to tell a different story. Let me repeat that. Subversive is to take the words and the image of one story and to use them to retell a different story. Such as, Colossians is written during the time of the Roman Empire. You have an imperial story. So Paul, in this little book, he takes the words and the images that brings worship Caesar, worship Caesar, glorify Caesar, uses the same words to say, no, 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 worship Jesus. Glory to Jesus. He's what he does. During this time period, there's also something called mystery religions, all sorts of mystery religions. And so in this little book, when you're reading it, you'll see the word mystery over and over and over and over again. It's in this book. So what is Paul doing? He is subverting the mystery of religion by saying, hey, listen, there's no mystery. The mystery's over. Everything you need to know, it's in Jesus. That's, that's the good news. It, all you need to know, it's in Jesus himself. There's no mystery. That's what he's saying. Now, there's a third subversion I'm going int to introduce you to this morning. And we've been talking about this thing called false teaching. When you read this little book, all, he brings up false teachers a lot. So we're not going to go say, oh, this is what the false teaching was. Paul didn't say that. Here's the false teaching. He's kind of subtle about it. 
And if you go study this, there's a lot of academic people, scholars, a lot smarter than I am, uh, know a whole lot more. They have a different opinion on what this not on what this false teaching is. But I'm going to share with you my take on my understanding of this scripture of, of what this is. Now, one thing that's very important to understand, Paul's going to use the, a word, a word, and a couple of words, but pick one word that the false teachers used to tell a different story, okay? That's what he's going to do. Now, we see this word, first of all, mentioned in Colossians chapter 1, down here in verse 19. We've got to go backwards to go forwards. We're going to finish chapter 2 this morning, okay? But to go forward, we have to go backwards. So if you will look, please, at verse 19 of chapter 1, and we see this first beginning of this concept. It says, verse 19, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Now, teaching biblical note, the word all in fullness in the Greek is the same word. It's the exact same word. It's kind of redundant. He's emphasizing in the Greek, for God was pleased to have the fullness of his fullness. I mean, the fullness of his fullness, all of it, it dwells in him. So he's emphasizing. And that word in the Greek is pleroma. Say pleroma. pleroma. It's a very important word to understand if you're going to understand this entire message and what's happening here in the Scripture. Pleroma. He is saying that the fullness, the pleroma of the pleroma, all of the fullness of who God is, you can find it in this guy named Jesus. So when you go forward and you read the rest of this book, this four chapters, you're going to see the word fullness or pleroma over and over and over again, such as down in verse 25. Paul says, I have become its servant, talking about the church, by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its what? Fullness, which is pleroma. You're going to see that everywhere. Now, here, here's my take on what the false teaching is, okay? Here's my take. And I believe this false teaching, he's about to kind of, kind of subtly subvert, is something I want to call a Jewish Gnosticism. Now, if you've been around the church for a long time, you might have heard that word. It's a word that kind of goes over your head. It's a theological word, Gnosticism. Well, what does that mean? There's all sorts of different versions of Gnosticism. And there's not one clear definition that says, this is what it is. Because the Gnostics, they borrow from everybody. You know how there's some churches, they borrow from them, they borrow from them, they borrow from them. Well, the Gnostics, they borrow from Christianity, they borrow from Judaism, uh, they borrow from the Greek philosophers, they, they borrow from these mystery, Hellenistic mystery religions to come up with their belief system. So it's this big amalgamation of lots of different stuff of what this Gnosticism was. But what was consistent within them, Consistent is this one word, pleroma, say pleroma, which means fullness. That's consistent throughout all of Gnosticism. Now, I want you, we're going to find here exactly what this word uh, Gnosticism, where it comes from, okay? And we'll talk a little bit more about what it is. Look down here at chapter 2, verse 2. Chapter 2, verse 2. Paul says, my goal, here's my goal, that all of you may be encouraged in heart and mind, united in love, so that, there's those two little words again, so that they, you, may have the full riches of complete understanding, none of this false teaching stuff, complete understanding, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, verse 3, here comes the punch, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom, and what's that word? Knowledge. 
That word knowledge in the Greek is gnosis, G-N-O-S-I-S, which is where Gnosticism comes from, okay? That's where it comes from. Now, here's, here's the selling point, hold the whole idea of Gnosticism and everything like this, is the idea that God, God, the fullness of God at creation created the entire cosmos, and he diffused his fullness throughout everything. It's, it's throughout the cosmos, right? And it's, as he diffused it, it gets less and less in other places. So you got this big pyramid. You got this gigantic pyramid. God is at the top of the pyramid. And God in all of his fullness, he diffuses his fullness throughout the pyramid. So by the time it gets down to the bottom, it's a little diluted. It's not quite as full because it's spread out in so many places. That's what Gnostics believe. And they believe that the angels, the angels, had more of the pleroma of God than anyone. That's a very big belief of the Gnostics. The angels have more of the fullness of the fullness of God than anything else. So here's the idea. Here's what they're saying. Gnostics, here's their selling point. Listen, why do you want to put all of your fullness in Jesus? Why are you just narrowing your life to Jesus? The fullness of God is out there all over the place. It's been scattered throughout the entire cosmos. And the best way to access the fullness of who God is, the greatness of God, all of it, is through the angels. Because the angels have more of the pleroma, more of the fullness than anybody. And we have all this secret knowledge, gnosis, about the angels. So you come do what we say. Uh, we'll give you understanding of who the best angel is, who the least angel is, and how to use these angels to get what you want out of your life. That's what they're teaching. That's their false heresy. Now, again, let me repeat. There's all sort of different things about people believe about Gnosticism. This is my take on really what Gnosticism is and what is happening here in the Scriptures. And again, we got to go forward. we got to go backward to go forward. We're getting ready to read the text we read last week, and there's two things I want you to notice. Number one, how often the word fullness is being used. That's number one. I want you to notice because that's the word used by the Gnostics, the fullness of God. Man, you want to be full, but you've got to find it all these other places. And number two, I want you to notice a teaching that's kind of embedded in this scripture that Gnosticism believes, and that's something called dualism. Say dualism. This is not in your notes. We're not going to put this on the screen or anything, but here's what do. And I will tell you that when you hear that, you go, oh, now what does that have to do 2,000 years later with us? I believe the church has what I want to call a Gnostic hangover. I'll explain it to you here in just a minute. Here's what dualism means, and the Gnostics believe this. At creation, when the fullness of God created everything, everything that was spirit was good, and everything that is matter is evil. That's dualism. So there's no way that God in the flesh... In Jesus, that can't happen because God is spirit. God is holy. Flesh is evil. The two can't coexist. So there's no way that could be true, the Gnostics would say. No way. Now, some 2,000 years later in the church, when some churches, and even some of us church people would say something like this, there are spiritual things and there's the worldly things. There are sacred things and there are secular things. That's Gnosticism. 
to think that there are some things that God cares about and there are some things that God doesn't care about and you've got to separate yourself from all that other stuff. That, that's a little bit of a Gnostic heresy that's embedded in the eyes of the church, seeing that God doesn't care about everything and everybody in the same way. Now, I want you to notice how he kind of refused this. He's talking to a bunch of people who are being tempted to believe that you've got to look for the fullness of God somewhere else out there. You need more, and you're going to go out there and find it. And he kind of goes on. Now, look what he says here, this dualism thing. It comes to play in verse 9. And we'll pick up at verse 8. Pick up at verse 8, chapter 2. It says, see to it, and I see to it, no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition, the elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ, rather than on Jesus. So elemental spiritual forces, last week we taught, that's about the sun god, the moon god, the rain god, the fire god. And my belief is the deceptive philosophy is Gnosticism. That's what he's dealing with. So he said, don't let any of that other stuff take you captive. Don't believe in that stuff. Verse 9, for in Christ... Here comes the hit in the head of the Gnostics. In Christ, all the fullness of the deity of God lives in bodily form. And they would say, that's scandalous. How can God, which is holy, which is spirit, exist in matter, in a physical flesh and blood, which is evil? You, you, you've got to understand how scandalous this would be in this day and time. For Paul to write this. And he is literally being subversive. He's undermining the story. Now, I want to make sure everybody gets this, because some of you have this misunderstanding of who Jesus is. Some of you, you have this idea that Jesus is like Mr. Rogers. Whether, whatever the color of your skin, whether you're white, whether you're black, whether you're brown, uh, you're Asian, whatever, you have this picture of Jesus in the color of your skin that Jesus is just like you, and he's nothing but a Mr. Rogers. He's a nice guy. He says, hey, listen, come on, guys. Can't we get along? I mean, can't you just love your neighbor? I mean, just, 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 just be nice to each other. And that's what your image of Jesus is. He's just like Mr. Rogers. They didn't crucify Mr. Rogers. They crucified Jesus. They killed him. He was the nicest. He was the most forgiving, the most merciful, the most grace-filled, the most wholesome, the most good human being who ever walked on the face of the earth, and they killed him because he was subversive. He was retelling the story of this is what God is like. And they killed him. And here's the Apostle Paul who's following in the footsteps of Jesus. He writes this letter, he's in prison. Why? Because he's telling a different story. He's subverting the Roman Empire. No, don't you worship Caesar. Don't you worship him. You just worship this guy named Jesus. He's, he's taking all the mystery religions saying, no, listen, the secret's out. There's no secrets, knowledge, and super. It's all you need to know is in Jesus. And now he's undermining this false heresy. And uh, man, it's just, there's just so much more to what it means being a disciple of Jesus than you think just being a nice guy to everybody. It's subversive. 
And then the apostle Paul goes on. I mean, then he really blows their mind even bigger. He goes, okay, verse 9, for in Christ, all the fullness of the deity, it lives in bodily form. All the fullness of the pleroma, of the pleroma, of the pleroma of God lives in the bodily form of Jesus. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness too. Whoa. What do the Gnostics say? What's the Gnostics say? Hey, listen, guys. If you want to have the fullness of God, if you want to know the fullness of God, don't limit yourself to Jesus. I mean, it's everywhere out there in the cosmos. I mean, it's everywhere. And we'll give you inside knowledge through our mystic understanding of angels. And the Apostle Paul says, no. The fullness of the fullness of God lives in the bodily form of Jesus. And you're in Jesus. That means you have it too. You don't have to go looking for it. You got it. And that was so radically subversive. Now, I know right now some of you, you're going, okay, oh, all, right, all this theological mumbo jumbo, I'm done, I'm out, I want to quit. I want, relevance is around the corner, okay? Okay, I'm just saying, stay with me. Relevance and application, you know, it's going to come, it's going to get personal here in just a little bit. Not this abstract thinking stuff. Okay, but again, to go forward, we got to go backward to really understand. I want to read the text we read last weekend, okay? I'm just going to read it. I'm just going to read the text we read last weekend and just kind of make a point. Here's what it says. So 9 and 10, the fullness of the fullness of the fullness. It's in God. Of God is in Christ, and it's in you. He goes on in verse 10. He is the head over every power and authority. Jesus is. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith and the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He's taken it away, nailed it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Now that is a mouthful. What does all of that mean? Let me put it in a summary form on a slide right here. It begins with the fullness of, here's how you've been brought to fullness. You have been buried with Jesus. He says you have been circumcised by Jesus. Your old self and old nature put off. You have been raised with Christ. You are now alive in Christ. You have been forgiven. All of your debts have been canceled. And God has disarmed all the powers and authorities that are condemning you. It's done. You got it. It's all in you. You're full of this. You already have this. You're full. Here's what I want you to get. This is a theological statement. You and I receive by grace what Christ is by nature. Let me repeat that. You and I receive by grace what and who Christ is by nature. For example, Christ died. You're in Christ. You die. Christ rose. You're in Christ. You rise. You and I receive by grace 
who Christ is by nature. And what he's trying to say, the selling point is this. I mean, the bottom line is this. Hey, listen, you're looking out there for all this stuff, all these things that are already out there. You already have it. You're full with the fullness of God already. Therefore, that's the very next word in the Scripture. All that other part was the introduction to bring us to today. For one little word, he says, therefore. Hey, listen, guys. I've already subverted all your arguments about Gnosticism. I've taken them away, all that false teaching. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or what you drink. Judge you means exclude you from the fellowship of God's people. Do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, a Sabbath day. These were a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, reality is found in Jesus. It's found in Christ. Now, here's what he's saying. I think it's Gnostic, Jewish Gnostic. He talks about the religious festivals, the new moon celebration, Sabbath day. That's all Jewish talk. But here's what he's saying. Hey, listen, guys. Don't let anyone disqualify you from gathering with God's people. Just because they insist that you do all these festivals and, and you do this new moon stuff and you do the Sabbath on a certain way, I, don't let anyone disqualify. Hey, I'm, 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 not, I'm not against those things, he says. But you can't do these things and add to the fullness you already have. You cannot add to what God has already given you. You can't do it. And it's a waste of time. Why, why would you bother? He goes on right here in verse 18. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Don't let them do that. Remember, angels are big to the Gnostics. They were big to the Romans. Because they believed the angels had the most of the fullness of God at their disposal. And the Gnostics said, hey, listen, we got secret knowledge about the angels. Man, we got the knowledge. And you come to us, we'll show you how to access that knowledge on which angels are the greatest. And then you're going to get all this information. That's what they're saying. And then it goes on there in that same little verse. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. In other words, these visions, the angelic visions, they're puffed up with their idle notions by their unspiritual mind. Don't you let anyone disqualify you who tells you they have had visions of God and they've had pictures of the mystical understanding of the spirit world and you've never seen that and they tell you you are not full of God's presence because you haven't had their experience, that's Gnosticism. That's false teaching. That is not true. You have the fullness already. He goes on, verse 19. Hey, they've lost connection with the head from whom the whole body supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews grows as God causes it to grow. Verse 20, since you already died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why as though you still belong to the world do you submit to the rules? And the rules are do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. That's Gnosticism he's quoting. These rules which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use are based on merely human commands, teachings such as uh, human te teachings and commands, such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value remaining sensual indulgence. Here's the deal. Gnosticism. 
Hey, listen, why are you limiting yourself to just Jesus? The fullness of God is in so many other places. And we know how you can access that for your life. We can give you the knowledge of the angelic visions, and it will give you truth and mystical power that nobody else has ever told you. You just got to come with us, and we'll get there. And the Apostle Paul says, no. The fullness of the fullness of God exists in bodily form in Jesus. And in Jesus, if you're in Jesus, you got it. So don't let anyone disqualify you because you don't worship exactly the way they tell you you have to worship. Don't let anybody disqualify you because you don't have this mystical understanding of a spiritual world and have these visions and dreams of angels and heaven and eternity and like, like that. And don't let anybody disqualify you because you don't go by the rules of do not handle, do not taste, do not see. That's just slavery. Don't go back to that. Don't be tempted by that. And here's what he's saying in a very practical way. Uh, has anybody seen... I've lost my sunglasses. Can anybody, can, anybody, uh, can anybody see my glasses? I'm looking for my glasses. Anybody ever done that besides me? Looking, looking, you're looking for them and they're right on top of your head. Or has anybody ever done this besides me? Uh, you're talking on your phone and uh, you go, uh, uh, has anybody seen my phone? I can't, I'm looking for my phone. Hey, hey, I'm looking for my phone. <laughs> Don't judge. <laughs> I've actually done that. What's he saying? Why are you looking for what you already have? You don't need any more mystical experiences. You don't have to be rebaptized again and again and again and again and again and again. You don't need any more secret knowledge. You, if you're in Christ, you have the fullness of the fullness of the fullness of God already in you. That's what he's saying. You have all that you need. Now, I want you to know, Gnosticism sells well today. It makes people a lot of money. And some of you are making Gnostics very wealthy. Because you're kind of Gnostics yourself. You don't even know it. Years ago, there was a little book called out called, oh, I still have my sunglasses on my head. No, no, I'm <laughs> There was a little book out called The Secret. It was a bestseller. I see some folks going, oh, yep, I read it. And the reason, it's Gnosticism cloaked in me in a self-help book. The shelves of bookstores and Amazon, they're, they're filled with them, all this self-help stuff. And it's Gnostic because it's a secret. Hey, we got a secret. And once you get this secret of life, and you go, oh, really? I want to know the secret. And then you read this little book. It quotes the Bible. It quotes Buddhism. It, it quotes Islam. It quotes some mystery. It quotes Greek philosophers. And you go, oh, there's such truth in there. And you go, oh, I got to understand this. I want to understand this. I want to understand it. It's Gnosticism cloaked in narcissism. That's about me, it's about me, it's about me. You already have all that you need. You don't need a bunch of knowledge and information about all. In Jesus Christ, you have all the fullness of the fullness of the fullness of the fullness of life that you need. That's what he's saying. But we don't believe it. So you get this book and that self-help book and that self-help book and that self-help book and that self-help book, thinking, oh, finally, I just need more. I just need more because I don't. And he's saying, you already got it. 
Now, we got to go backwards one more time to really understand this content and understand one word, okay? And then we're going to kind of bring this, we're going to bring it, bring it to where it needs to be. Hopefully, you can grab hold of something. Go to verse 10, chapter 1. We're going backwards, second week two. I want to peel back the layer of the onion a little bit deeper. I did not do this then. I wanted to wait specifically to today for this purpose. I want to show you another word that Paul uses. It's so critical. He says, verse 9, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge, the gnosis of his will, through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, not all this other stuff that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy. Now, that word worthy, live a worthy life, that, that word worthy is an interesting word. Sometimes when you hear that, I want to live a life that's deserving, that deserving of the Lord. I want to do that. But that word, it has nothing to do with deserving. That word in the Greek is axios, A-X-I-O-S, which means corresponding to. Live a life word, not corresponding to what you already have. That's what it's saying. Live a life corresponding to what you already have. Now, let me see if I can explain this by taking you to a movie that some of you have seen called Private Ryan. Remember seeing the movie Private Ryan? And this movie, Private Ryan, is such a compelling movie. And Tom Hanks is the primary character. And it opens with this brutal scene of D-Day. It's just brutal. It's hard to watch. It's so intense. And only a few people you see, you know, so many people die on that beach. And those that make it through, they're discarded for the rest of their life. And if they live, has to battle. And Tom Hanks and his squadron, they make it. They make it. And they get these random orders. Go find Private Ryan. Because he was one of four sons. The other three sons had already died. And the Secretary of War is not going to send another letter to this mom saying, your last son gave his life for our country. Go get him. So they go get him. And their squad's not happy about it. I mean, why are we going to sacrifice our lives so this dude can go home? I mean, we're gonna, after this is over, we're going back to war. He's going home. And they're kind of, but finally it gets to the very end of the movie, having all these battles, and it's the final scene. And Tom Hanks, he's sitting on this bridge, and they found Private Ryan, and his name is Matt, Matt, Matt Damon's the primary, his primary character, Matt Damon. They have found him, and he, man, and this is the final battle, and uh, Hanks is mortally wounded. He's about to die, and he pulls Matt Damon up to his face, and he says, earn this. Earn this. And he dies. The movie goes quickly, 50 years later, into where this Private Ryan standing in the cemetery. And he's at a grave. He's now 70-plus years of age. And he's thinking. And he turns to his wife, and he says, was I a good man? In other words, did I earn this? And I'm suggesting that many of us in this room who say they're followers of Jesus, you read a text like this, Live a life worthy of the Lord. Oh, i got to live a life that deserves, that deserves what God has done for me on the cross. And I would ask you, is there anybody here that could repay? You think you can really repay what God did in bodily form in his fullness on the cross? No. But yet so many of you do. You live under this weight of guilt and shame and obligation 
almost like this thing that God did was not a gift. It was a credit card debt. And you got to work, 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 work to earn, to pay it off and to pay it off. As a result, you don't live your life with joy. You don't live your life with a bounce in your step. You live it with this kind of guilt, this sort of shame, and this burn, this burn that I've got to earn. I've got to do something to, to deserve this life that I have. And the apostle Paul would say, no. You already have it. Live a life corresponding to what you already have. The sunglasses are on your head. The cell phone is in your hand. You have it. The fullness of the fullness of God, all of him in Christ is in you, period. Don't be looking anywhere else in him. You are full. Now, I know there are some of you right now that are still trying to wrap your head to grasp, okay, what does this mean to me in real life? So I'm going to tell you two or three stories. I have time to do this. Stick with me. To help you bring relevance to what it means to live a life corresponding to what you already have in full. Okay? Uh, some of you don't believe this, but I am married. I really am married. And some of you don't believe I'm married because you've never met my wife. We have five worship times. And if you just come here, you go, oh, really? Yeah, you're not married. Uh, I've been married 40 years. Uh, this, this last January. In fact, this is a picture of my wife, just so you can prove it, that she's married. This is my wife. Uh, she is real. She is hot. She is a babe. Okay? <laughs> and I call her babe because she, that's what I call her, and she is my babe, and she is a babe. And when people meet her for the first time, and I'm, I'm with her, they all, they look at her, and they look at me. They look at her, they look at me, and they go, really? How did you, all the time, how did you get her? And they go, huh. And I will tell you, I'm one of those men who understand that, that I give God thanks a lot of times that women are less visual than men. <laughs> Let that sink in. Some of you men need to be more thankful. I'm just saying that your wives are less visual. I know you complain about that sometimes, but I'd be, be, be grateful. I know. I, you think you look like Matt Damon, you don't. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm just saying. And, and so, I, I came, in fact, that happened out here in the crossing. This woman, who's a friend of my wife, stood next to me, and she said, you know, Rick, your personality makes you more attractive. <laughs> Men, just let that sink in for a second. <laughs> is that a compliment? Really? Is, is that a compliment? No, it's not a compliment at all. It's not. And so, so we got married. I'm 23. Uh, she's younger. I'll just leave it at that. We've been married 40 years. And and so, man, I had bachelor stuff. I mean, I was ingrained in being a bachelor, a single dude, right? I mean, I was ingrained in it. I was, I was a great single guy. I, I cooked all of my meals when I'm cooking in one pot. And, not, and I ate out of the pot. I mean, why put it on dishes? You just cook all the food in one dish, and you eat out of that whole thing. And when you're finished, you just kind of wipe it out in the sink and leave it. And if it looks pretty clean, you use it again the next night. And you just keep doing that until mold starts to grow. Then I throw the pot away and go get another one, right? I mean, that's, it just conserves. It's easier. It's less difficult. It's a time management system. Uh, well, when it comes to toilet paper, single, why do you put toilet paper on a roll little thing? Why do you have to have that? If, it, if you can reach the package where you are, that's good enough. Just reach the package. In fact, it's easier to unwind this way than it is pull it off of that way. Sometimes you can't get it unstuck and everything. So that was just, you know, my, my way of doing things. And, and dust ruffle, I mean, what single man has a dust ruffle on his bed? I mean, what's the purpose of a dust ruffle? 
I mean, I would rather the dust go under the bed so they can't see it and keep it from out of the bed, right? So, you know, no dust ruffles in laundry. When it comes to laundry, I had three piles, uh, clean, worn once, and needs washing. And when these two piles were gone, you worked on that pile in the middle of the room. Could I get an amen for me and the men in the house, right? And so, so, so finally, we stand before this, this pastor in a church, and he says, I pronounce you husband and wife. And here's my question. In that moment when he said that, was I a husband? Yes. And the women are going, no. No. Because I had to put off some single ways of thinking and behaving and put on some married ways of behaving and thinking, not so I could become married, but because I already was. The invitation of marriage is to become what is true of you already in that relationship. And so, not out of guilt or shame or obligation did I learn how to put the toilet paper on the thing and make sure it comes over the top and to close the lid down, right? And to use other dishes besides one little pot and actually put them in the dishwasher and clean them and all that sort of thing, or to put your laundry. I did it not to become married. I did it because I already was to become what was true of me. So the scripture says, God is holy. Be holy. So let me ask you, are you holy? Yes. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. No. But, but. You have the fullness of 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 the holiness of God already in you. You don't need to be baptized again. No more mystical incantation or experiences. No imagining. You already got it. You just don't believe what God says is true. You don't believe it. And the invitation is to become, become who God already says you are. You got it. You One more example. Men. Well, men. Your wife is pregnant. First child. You go in the room, they sit down, you open your arms, and they put this little critter in your arms. And I say critter because no one tells you when they're born they look like aliens. <laughs> right? I mean, you're holding this baby, and everybody's going, man, that baby's cute. And you're going, this sucker's ugly. I mean, all this wrinkle and gook and junk and everything. Ah! And all of a sudden it dawns on you. I'm a father. You don't have a clue on how to be a father. Maybe you had one. Maybe. But even if you had a good one, you don't have a clue. And now you are one. And here's the deal. Your identity as a father, you don't lose that. You are one. Whether you want to be or not, you are one. And you never lose that. 
and the security of your identity of knowing you're a father gives you the courage to do it imperfectly and grow into being the father that your son, your daughter needs and believes you to be. You become, the invitation of father is to become who you already are. You already have it, fatherhood. That is exactly what Paul is saying to you and me in this scripture. Hey, listen, you're holy. You don't feel holy. You don't look holy. But the holiness of God already dwells in you. Become who God says you already are. Grow into it. And you say, well, Pastor, uh, I don't feel very full. I don't feel very holy. I don't, I, don't, I don't feel that. And that is the light of the evil one to get you believe and get you to look for something you already have. The sunglasses are already on your head. The cell phone is already in your hand. And the fullness of God is already in you. And some of you, I know you still don't believe it. You know why I know that? Because you still beat yourself up and ask God to forgive you for the same sin 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, over and over and over and over and over again. And your marriage is stuck, and you have the same problems over and over and over and over and over again. And you have this same addiction that keeps on beating you in the butt over and over and over and over and over and over again. So let me close with this to help you, if that's you. I know a family, they're a foster family, and they've, scores of kids have been through their home, scores of kids, and they take kids that have been abandoned or beaten by their parents, and they take them into their home, and they're awesome. They've adopted some of them. The last one they adopted he started stealing food out of the pantry and storing it in his room. And they had a rule in this house. No food in the bedroom. No food. And they started finding it. And they learned why. Because his biological mom and dad would lock him in his room on Friday and not let him out until Monday. He had nothing to eat the whole weekend, starving him to death. And so this kid to survive, he just started taking food and storing it. And so the parents find out. You got a rule, no food in the room. So let me ask you, parents, you're the parent, and you find this out. You're the parent. What do you do? Are you angry? Do you give the kid the riot act? Do you cloud up and... <laughs> what do you do? And what do you say? What do you say? Just think about that. What would you do? Let me tell you what these parents did. They sat down with this young man, and they said... You don't have to do that anymore. That's not how our family operates. All we have, everything, it's yours. It's yours. Now, how many times do you think they had to tell him that? Over and over and over over and over and over and over until one day 
He started to grab some food. He went, I don't have to do that anymore. And he became the son that told him that he was, that he had all along. And all I'm trying to say is there's some of you, Sanctuary, True Worth, online, there's some of you that just keep beating yourself up, hanging on to that shame and that guilt of the stuff of your past, the same issue in your marriage over and over and over and over and over. You're grabbing hold of food and grabbing hold of stuff to protect survival, survival in your own little way. And God's just trying to tell you, hey, listen up. You don't have to do that anymore. That's not how my family works. Everything I have, all my fullness, all my goodness, all my power, all my forgiveness, all my love, all my mercy, it's yours. All my wisdom, it's yours. Become the son and the daughter that I've already declared as who you are. So I'm going to ask you, I'm going to pray over you. I just want you to sit there and just, I'm just hoping that somebody, somebody, True Worth, Sanctuary Online, this ark, I'm just hoping that somebody just kind of, just lifts a stronghold, lets it go, and just lays it to the ground, and you leave it in this room. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters here, my friends in this, in this place of worship, scattered many places, one gathering, God, that you'd release them from some of the strongholds of their past that tells them they're not good enough. It tells them they got to store food. They got to hide stuff from people. I pray, God, you'd release them from the guilt and the shame and the burdens. They got to earn and deserve your love. They would just know that in Jesus, You've done it all. And that in him, they have it all. God, we're just grateful none of us are holy enough, but you, you are. <laughs> and you allow us to stand before you in our imperfections, giving us time to grow into who you designed and made us to be, that we can be the husband we can be the wife, we can be the mom, we can be the dad that our families need. Because in Jesus. So God, I pray that you would subvert the throne of some hearts in this place. And that you would take over the heart. And that in families, people would stop grabbing hold of food. And just trust that what you say is true. That it's all available to my children. You're full. You're full. 
happens. That our families will heal and you will use us to let others know about the goodness that's available in Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. If you're a guest, I'd love to meet you. I'll hang around. I'd love to say hello. Thanks for coming very much.